Good morning, everybody. For anybody who's maybe brand new with us, my name's Aaron Stern. I'm the lead pastor here. And I also want to take a moment and welcome anybody and everybody joining us online. We're so glad that you're with us. Can we just welcome everybody on live stream today? Uh, Did you ever have a teacher, or maybe if you're a parent, you've said this, or maybe your parents said this to you, do what I say, don't do what I do, right? Now, the goal is not that. The goal (laughs) is that we would say what, what we say and do would match up. Jesus says to us, I want you to do what I say and what I do. And so we get what he has to say oftentimes in sermons. He teaches. We need to pay attention to his teachings as apprentices of Jesus. Those sound like the Sermon on the Mount. Those sound like parables. If you're familiar with the Gospels, Jesus oftentimes would tell a parable as a, as a way of specifically trying to teach an idea or help people understand the kingdom of God. But we have more than just sermons collected in the Gospels. We have Jesus walking from place to place, or we have Jesus meeting with somebody like Nicodemus late at night, and we have these conversations. So we're in a series called Jesus Conversations because Jesus is teaching even in these conversations. We learn not only what he says, but how he says it and what he's doing, and we can learn from that as well. Jesus is interested in not just us understanding the truth, but also his way. John chapter 14, Jesus says, I am the truth and the way and the life. And so it is really important for us as followers of Jesus to be able to understand not only what he's saying, but how he's saying it and how he lives it out so that we can do the same. So our conversation that we're going to jump into here today is found in Luke chapter 24, Starting in verse 13, I'm going to read about almost 20 verses. And so if you have a Bible, you can open it, you can look on the screen, or you can jump onto YouVersion. It has all this passage and all the notes for today. It starts by saying, now that same day. Now, the day that they're talking about here in this passage is the day that Jesus rose from the grave. Earlier that morning, we have Mary having gone to the tomb, finding the stone rolled away and the tomb empty, having met an angel, actually having met Jesus, um, not recognizing him at first, thinking he's the gardener, but then he says her name and she sees and understands that it's Jesus who is alive. Now that same day, two of them, two followers of Jesus or, or who had been disciples, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him, similar to Jesus with Mary earlier in the day. Uh, we, we get a glimpse here of Jesus' resurrection body, um, same but different, um, similar but not exact. So uh, we don't know a whole lot about it, but we know nonetheless a few things about it, and in these point to that. Verse 17, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, almost like maybe caught in their tracks, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? (laughs) I mean, I wonder if they're like flabbergasted and downcast. Downcast because, because 
they thought Jesus was the Messiah. They thought he was going to rescue Israel. They thought that he was going to be part of overthrowing the Romans. They thought that, that they were going to, he was going to end their oppression and, and, and suffering. And Jesus says, what things? <laughs> I, I don't know about you, but I find that really funny. Jesus was the guy they're talking about, experienced it fully, and he's like, what are you talking about? And, and they said, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In other words, he died a few days ago, he's been in the grave, he's dead. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning and didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are. Now, we might take that as like, wow, that was rude. But actually, um, in, un, in, in first century Jewish context, um, this is kind of a, hey, pay attention. Are you really paying attention kind of moment? And he says, how and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. In other words, we see Jesus' kindness as opposed to what, how we might interpret that sentence uh, or that question of Jesus is sounding like it was contempt. Jesus was not contemptuous. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So compelled by what Jesus was saying that they were like, we want to hear more. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Talk about a Twilight Zone moment. I mean, first of all, this guy is clueless. He doesn't even know what's going on. Jesus is kind of playing coy and acting like he's going to go further, wanting to find out if they want to know more. Then he's there, then he breaks bread, they see him, and then he disappears. I mean, I can't imagine the like, where are we kind of moment that these guys or these two are having. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while we talked? He talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. The question that I wonder in this and that we don't know exactly is, what did Jesus say to them? What did he teach? In all likelihood, he didn't just give them one scripture or one idea. It sounds like he was kind of unpacking and going through the narrative of scripture, starting maybe in the beginning and how God created this beautiful world and how, 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 how it was exactly as God designed. But then sin, death, and evil got invited into the world and corrupted God's perfect and wonderful world. But God wasn't going to leave it that way. And so Genesis 3.15, he curses the serpent and then says that the serpent's head is going to be crushed by the seed of the woman. Reference to Jesus. How God maybe picked a and created a family that was going to carry this message and going to be the one through whom this, this Savior and Messiah was going to come to rescue Israel. 
Maybe he would reference Psalm 22, something he had said on the cross a couple days earlier that David had written that said, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Maybe he referenced some of the prophecies of Isaiah, highlighting the one who would come to save and to rescue. But somehow they lost this this, the plot line, this plot line of creation and decreation and recreation coming from the Savior. They had lost the plot line that somehow Jesus was the one because they saw a king not who was, who was coming and relieving Israel of their suffering. They had lost the plot line because they didn't see how Jesus was going to come rescue Israel and the whole world through suffering. And he brought it back to himself. He brought the scriptures back to a place where it all pointed to Jesus. And they were hungry for more, even as they talk about their doubts with him, even as they're in this place of questions and not understanding. They were doubting. They were walking away. They were, they were thinking, I, we thought he was the one, and man, did we waste some time. I mean, we saw some cool things, but I guess, I guess we gotta, he wasn't the one. We got to look for the next one, and they're sad and downcast and full of questions, and they were in their doubts. But the, look what's so beautiful in this particular passage. Jesus walks with them even as they doubt. In some ways, you could say they were walking away from Jesus, and Jesus walks with them even as they walk away from him. God wants us to know what to do with our doubts. This passage and this conversation that Jesus has speaks to people with doubts and Jesus in his response and reactions to it. You ever find yourself maybe asking questions or in a place of doubt? Is God real? Are you here? Do you hear me? Do you care? Are you good? Do you hear my prayers? Is Jesus really the Son of God, did He really rise from the dead? Is everything going to be made right? Because everything seems wrong right now. Oz Guinness, British author and theologian, says this, There are two equal and opposite errors into which Christians are inclined to fall when thinking about doubt. On the one hand, those who are theologically liberal tend to be too soft on doubt, lionizing such notions as ambiguity and uncertainty and verging on a spiritual permissiveness that becomes a slipway to unbelief. On the other hand, those who are theologically conservative tend to be too hard on doubt, demonizing the dire consequences of unresolved doubt, and verging on a spiritual perfectionism that leaves doubters in such a state of guilt or despair that they dare not acknowledge their doubts to others or even themselves. I don't know where you might find yourself on that continuum, but Jesus doesn't find himself on either end of that continuum in response to them. He doesn't say, what's wrong with you? He actually asks them some questions and is willing to spend time with them. He doesn't say, get over it or pray harder. He doesn't just give them a pep talk. A pep talk doesn't bring someone out of the dark night of the soul. Now, in saying all of this, I think it's important, especially in our day and age, when maybe doubt is celebrated and seen as cool. Doubt is not a virtue. And, but Jesus does not dismiss the doubter. Jesus' brother Jude wrote in his book, uh, one chapter long, found as the second to the last book in the New Testament, 
Jude chapter 1, verse 22, he says, Be merciful to those who doubt. In the scriptures, we find a realistic yet healthy view of doubt, which regards it as serious, but not terminal. See, because doubt is a part of the human condition. Doubt is inevitable. If you haven't experienced doubt, that's wonderful. I'm not saying we need to go try and find it, but most likely you have a date with it coming in your future. Even atheists doubt. Doubt is a part of the human condition, not just the life of faith. Now you might say, no, 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 Aaron, I will never doubt. Let's look at John the baptizer. Chosen by God, filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. Forerunner of Jesus, baptizer of Jesus. And when he baptized Jesus, the scripture says that the heavens open. I love him. I am well pleased with him. And John finds himself in prison. And he sends somebody to Jesus and says, are you really the one? Thomas. Thomas gets a bad rap. What's he known as? Thomas the... Poor guy. Thomas, who had some doubts, is a better idea because it wasn't his identity. Thomas, in fact, became a missionary to India and was martyred for his faith in Jesus. C.S. Lewis chronicles much of his journey of doubt. Mother Teresa had significant bouts with doubt. John of the Cross in the 16th century is the one who coined the dark night of the soul as someone who wrestles with and finds themselves in a place of doubt and discouragement. Notice something in this story that, that they say to Jesus, we thought he was the one or downcast, but these These women, they told us about having gone to the tomb and it was empty. And then some of our companions, they went and they also saw the tomb empty, but they didn't. So here they are having doubt based on the perceptions of what everyone else seems to experience. You ever find yourself in that place? Maybe you're in here and you find yourself on a Sunday morning and everybody else has got their hands up and they seem to be like floating up into the third heaven and and you're like... Uh, am I missing something? Did I, did I miss the memo about this? I haven't experienced, I'm not experiencing what's going on. It's important to recognize that doubt is not the same as unbelief. And questions are not a lack of faith. God's bigger than our questions. I actually get nervous about people who stop asking questions. Because, because if we're not asking questions, it maybe seems like we've got God all figured out. George MacDonald, Scottish author and pastor, says, Doubts are messengers of the living one to the honest. Like if we're really willing to be honest, we all have some questions in some way or another. And the Apostle Paul encourages us in Philippians chapter 2 to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Like, test what you really believe. Test your experience against what you believe. Because isn't that what oftentimes happens? Something in our lives doesn't match up with what we understand about God. Right? I thought I would be married by now. I thought I would have kids by now. I thought that this 
I, I thought I would be well by now. I thought, that, I thought that I wouldn't be battling this addiction at this point in my life. I didn't think my marriage would fall apart. And sometimes what ends up happening then is we project all our issues and our fantasies about life onto God when it's not matching up, which can bring us to a place of questions, but also should cause us to question our outcomes. Sometimes we fall in love with our outcomes or an ideal rather than falling in love with Jesus. John Ortberg, in his book, No Doubt, says, Scratch the surface of any cynic and you will find a wounded idealist underneath. See, because the reality is, is that faith presupposes doubt. In other words, you cannot have faith without doubt. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty. If something is certain, you do not need faith. We have faith because we do not know something fully. Of the more than 200 references to trust in the Scripture, the vast majority are in the Psalms, where there's honest expression of confusion, despair, disappointment, and doubt. So the point that I want us to walk away with here today is that doubt is part of the human condition and the life of faith. And that we, hopefully we don't dismiss other people's doubts and we don't dismiss our own. Jesus didn't. Not only with Thomas, with these two who were walking on the road to Emmaus, but even in his great, what we know as the Great Commission, in Matthew chapter 28, before Jesus ascends into heaven, he gives this great commission. But right before that, in verse 16, he says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All you doubters, get out of here. Oh, no, he didn't say that. He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And they did what he just said. And that command, commission, is given not just to his first century followers, but to his 21st century followers as well. But it says here, they worshipped him and some doubted. But Jesus sent them out with their doubts. Jesus uses people who struggle with doubt to change the world. So if you doubt, sometimes they're like, well, I doubt. I guess I can't do this. I guess I'm not a Christian. I guess I, I can't walk with Jesus. I guess I can't come to church. I, I'm a doubter. Mother Teresa, who spent decades in India, caring and giving dignity to the dying. And a man come to her one time and say, I want you to pray for me. She said, how can I pray for you? The man said, pray that I have clarity. He had some decisions that he was trying to make, and, which is a wonderful thing. I wanted to follow the will of God. Mother Teresa responded, that I will not do. He says, I, I don't understand. Why not? She smiled and said, Clarity is the last thing that you are clinging to and you must let go of. Because clarity, like certainty, can become an idol. 
This man, like most of us, wanted certainty in his next steps. The steps that even God wanted him to take. But Mother Teresa knew such certainty was actually not available, so she chose to tell him that he must let go of that desire. Now, of course, this guy is confused, and so he says, you always seem to have clarity. And Mother Teresa laughed, and she said, I have never had clarity. What I've always had is trust. So I will pray that you trust God. See, we oftentimes think we're looking for certainty, but doubt can be an invitation into trust. Not that somehow doubt is going to lead us towards certainty and every answer that we, every question that we have, getting an answer, but getting to the place where maybe we do find some answers because wrestling with it can produce some, some answers to some questions, but it also might find us with more questions, which puts us in a place where we say, you know what? I trust God even with the questions. We said that Doubt is a part of the human condition, but the reality is is faith is part of the human condition as well. Everyone is trusting in something. And it's a part of our everyday. For anybody who drove a car here today, it required trust. I got in my car. I didn't, before I got in my car, I didn't open up the hood and and check and like 100%, I got to be 100% certain that everything, you know, is this going to work and is this going to work? I mean, I just got in and pushed the button. And, and the car turned on. And I was like, oh, wow. I wasn't, now I wasn't sure about that. I was nervous. Was I doubting? But it, no, but did I have faith? Yes. And we do that in so much of what we are walking through every day. See, the road to spiritual maturity and stronger faith goes through doubt. And when we really wrestle, when we bring those to God, That wrestling with doubt actually cultivates humility because we realize we don't know everything, because we have to trust, which leads to a childlike, not childish, but a childlike faith. Because a childlike faith is, if we think of a young child, it's like, I don't understand, but I I don't know where the food comes from, (laughs) but it ends up on the table and I just trust my mom and dad. I trust that this is okay. There's a couple of things in this story, in this conversation, that are worth paying attention to in relationship to how we navigate doubt. And the first one is found in the last sentence of this conversation where after Jesus disappears, they say, were not our hearts burning within us as he walked and talked with us and opened the scriptures to us? In a place of doubt, I would say, in any time of life, faith or doubt, we need to stay anchored in Scripture. To recenter Scripture, not as a weapon for culture wars, not as a, just a historical document or something to specifically just to memorize, but as a means to see Jesus. Because if someone can talk you into Jesus, you can be talked out of Jesus. That is why it is so important that we have an encounter with Jesus. So this passage and this conversation is an encouragement to pray for the presence of Jesus. To experience Him, not just to know about Him. 
And so I want to encourage each and every one of us in here that no matter where you are in reading your, the Bible, we should be anchored and tethered to Scripture at all times. But we, if you're a read through the Bible in a year person, or you're a, a verse of the day and study this particular area, or you're reading through, no matter what you're reading through, can I encourage you to be always be reading the Gospels? To keep Jesus alongside and in each and every bit of it. So that when you're reading about Daniel and Goliath, uh, Daniel and Goliath, David and Goliath, <laughs> David and Goliath, that you're also reading and understanding that Jesus is the real giant killer. That when you read about Daniel and the lion's den, that we are also reading about Jesus and remembering that Jesus is the one who always rescues. See, because it's not just a war for theology, it's a war for relationship. And so we need to be listening for Jesus' voice in Scripture. I have had and have questions. Sorry to let you know, but your pastor has some doubts. But throughout my life of faith and walking through those doubts and wrestling through them in the Scripture, I have come to a better understanding of and a stronger faith in Jesus. And it's important then that we don't dismiss them. It's also important that we don't, don't somehow say, well, I just want to live in a place of questions without actually ever wanting an answer. And one of the ways that we do that is that we don't go it alone. These two on the road before Jesus met with them were discussing and talking and trying to even wrestle it out themselves. I wonder what they were asking and talking about. Well, what about this and what about that? I mean, we saw him heal that person, but now he's dead and it seems like they stole his body and I don't know what's going on. And following Jesus is a life of community. Doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert. Doesn't matter if you're a people person or not. It's a life of community. It's walking with other people. The Bible doesn't have a category for a follower of Jesus who is untethered and doesn't belong to a community of faith. It is actually a theological impossibility. We need community. We need people to encourage us, to listen to us. We need wise guides and mentors to say, hey, I'm having this question. Oh, I had that question one time. Oh, I still wrestle with that, but let's talk about it. It's why we need to be in a city group. It's why we need city group leaders. We need people around us so that we're not just lost in our own heads. We are asking for a future of doubt and crashing faith if we live outside the community of faith. Eugene Peterson, pastor for 30 years, the writer of the paraphrase message, version of the Bible called The Message, and the writer of a book called Christ Plays in 10,000 Places. He wrote, I did not come to the conviction easily, but finally there was no getting around it. There can be no maturity in spiritual life, no obedience in following Jesus, no wholeness in the Christian life apart from immersion and embrace of community. I am not myself by myself. Community, not the highly vaunted individualism of our culture, is the setting in which Christ is at play. Which is countercultural. 
countercultural to an individualistic, I got this, pull myself up by my bootstraps, I got this kind of culture. A culture also that is embracing secularism, which is an elimination of transcendence and a minimizing and a, even a mocking of faith. And so our culture says, do this on your own and don't worry about it and certainly don't live with faith. That's for the weak people. But Jesus is saying, faith actually is about being somebody strong. Now, I recognize for maybe some of you even in this room, you find yourself wrestling. You find yourself with questions. And to come to church, sing songs, sometimes might actually bump you in some ways. You might think, how can you sing that? Actually, what about this? But can I encourage you and just let you know that environment matters. Stay the course. Stay amongst the people of God. Because without it, it is a going to, you are, will drift we don't drift into apprenticeship to Jesus. And the enemy wants your faith to fail. The scripture talks about the enemy, Satan, wanting to sift us. Sift the people of God. And he has the best chance of doing that when we are out of community and out of the scripture. That's why we care so much about and talk about city groups. If you're not in a city group, there's a city group semester starting in just a couple of weeks in June for the summer. Get into community, spend time with people, start developing some of those relationships where maybe you would get to the place where you'd be able to ask a question or share your questions. So our weekly practice this week for all of us to take some time and identify any doubts you might have and bring them to Jesus in prayer. These might be questions like, I don't know if you even answer my prayer, if you care about my prayers. I, I don't know if you're good. I, I have had so many not good things happen over time. I think, God, where are you? And why haven't you done this or fixed this or what's going on here? To identify your doubt, bring them to God. What is, maybe, maybe you have a hard time articulating. Maybe writing them down would be helpful to put them out. And to bring them specifically before Jesus. That's exactly what the psalmists do. Is bring those, their confusion. Bring the questions. Bring the despair. Bring the doubt to Jesus. Bring it to Him. For some of you, maybe there are questions you've been scared to ask. Scared to even explore. Where are you in this story? Maybe some of you in this room feel like, I, I don't have a lot of questions right now. I'm, I'm, I am honest and I feel pretty secure and, and stable. I'm not asking you to somehow go drum up some doubt. I, maybe your role in this moment is to be like Jesus. Walk alongside, listen, offer some, some guidance, some suggestions, a loving, listening ear. The goal is for us to be Jesus in the story, to lean on and be like him, to come alongside, to walk with, pray with, support, check in on. But for some of you, you identify with the doubting disciples in the story, the two walking on the road, the two with the big questions, the two who are downcast, 
the two who are confused and saying, well, I, I guess we maybe wasted our time. And maybe for you, you have not asked those questions before. Maybe for you, not only are the questions maybe coming to the surface, but tears seem to be coming to the surface because you've been trying to hold it all together. Hold your faith together. Like, I don't, I don't want to ask that question because I think if I ask that question, it's all going to come apart. I just want to say to you today that Jesus holds you together. Jesus holds you together. Jesus holds the world together, and he holds you, and he holds your faith together. He holds you together even in your questions. We don't hold ourselves together. Jesus holds us together. And he's, he's persistent. He walks a long time, willing to stay longer. I had the privilege of spending a few days with Eugene Peterson. I shared the story last week. The writer of the message, paraphrase, Bible and Spent three days with him, and I was able then to go to his funeral in 2018. And one of his sons, Leif, gave the eulogy. And as he told a story about his dad, he said, For 50 years you stole into my room at night and whispered softly to my sleeping head. It's the same message over and over. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. He's relentless. That's what Leif Peterson heard. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. Oh, and he's relentless. I pray that you would hear today God loves you, He's on your side. He's coming after you, and He's relentless. Even in your doubt, God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you, and He's relentless. Jesus is right alongside you, meeting you in your doubts, your disappointments, your confusion, your sorrow, and He's working to reveal Himself to you. God loves you. He's by your side. He's coming after you. He is relentless. Maybe you find yourself here today thinking you were walking alone when maybe all along Jesus was walking right alongside you. For others of you, maybe you've had so many questions, you find yourself in church, maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time, and you think, I thought I had to have all of my doubts settled before I could walk with Jesus. And can I encourage you to respond to the invitation of Jesus? It says, actually, I walk with you in your doubts. I send out and I work with people who have doubts and questions. Maybe for you, with the doubts, there's a, another story in the Scripture of a guy who says, I believe, but help my unbelief. I trust, but help me where I don't trust. And maybe that's what you feel like you come 
to Jesus with here today? Can I encourage you to respond to the invitation? Maybe you've never put your trust in Jesus. If that's you here today, you can cross the line of faith by saying, Jesus, I trust you. Not Jesus, I know everything. Not Jesus, I don't have any questions. Not, I've got it all worked out. I'm certain. But Jesus, I trust you. I trust you with my life. I trust you with my questions. I trust you with my doubts. I trust you. It's not the only thing you need to say to God, but it is the most, it's really an important first step of saying, I need you. And the beginning of a journey of walking with and following Jesus. If that's you here today, just made an amazing decision to follow Jesus. Maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time. For some of you here today, maybe you're like, ah, I'm not quite there. I've got a bunch of questions that I got to ask and maybe think through a little bit more. Alpha is a great spot. It's a great place to be able to answer, ask some of those questions and have people walk alongside you in those questions. Not to force an answer, but to create a safe space and allow God and the Holy Spirit to work in and through those questions, bringing them before Him. Wherever you find yourself here today, Jesus meets us exactly where we're at. So I want to take a moment and pray. God, wherever each one of us find ourselves in our journey with you, lots of questions, some resolved questions, some tough questions. God, maybe feeling like we're in the dark night of the soul, maybe just wondering about some things, or maybe having never asked a question, thinking it was not okay. God, wherever we find ourselves, God, I pray that we would sense your nearness. I pray that you would draw us into the Scripture and that our hearts would burn within us as the Scripture comes alive, as we encounter your presence, encounter you in the Scripture and with one another. Would you surround us with people who love us, listen, that we can dialogue and wrestle through the Scripture and through our questions together? Keep us anchored in the Scripture and tethered to one another. Keeping your eyes fixed on you, not losing the plot line, talking about everything except Jesus. Trying to find, listen for the voice of Jesus guides us. And would you set our hearts on fire for you? This we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said,